Nobody loves me like you do. And that you be Jesus. Okay? Hey, Brian, pray for us, buddy, before we start the thing. title of the message is, He Must Really Love You and Me, is the title of the message. We're going to be in some different verses today um, on this Palm Sunday, uh, the week before Easter. So I hope you follow along. We'll have them up on the screen. But that's the title of the message, He Must Really Love You and Me. You know, they say love is an action word. And, and hopefully we do some of these kinds of things when, when we... Uh, want to express love to a loved one, and, and there's a whole bunch of things that we can do, and I just kind of wrote down a, a couple of them. I know, I know Barry Leonard over there, he probably does all of these, but some of these that we're going to do, and, and, and it just gives you an example about, about love and love in action, and, and you know, love is doing things, and, and I got to thinking about that, and, and I came up with this list, and I don't know if it's any good or not, but maybe it'll help some of us guys, okay, as we go about our business. You know, I, th- I think I think if um, sometimes if we just make a phone call to the loved one and go, man, I just I just kind of wanted to talk to you, okay? Or maybe shoot them a text and say, hey, what's up? For you know, no no earthly reason. Maybe you bring them a a little gift of or some sort of a token of pre- appreciation, saying, I I just I love you. Uh, maybe it's just a hug. You know, you know, a hug means that you're kind of special to me. And we go and, and give a hug for, for no reason. Or maybe it's just a, a touch. Maybe a touch on the hand or maybe a touch on, on the shoulder. Or maybe it's just a pat on top of the head or something, if you, if you would. An act, of, an act of, of love. Maybe it's just wanting to spend time with them. Or maybe just watching their TV show. Or maybe it's going to their restaurant. Do some of that. Maybe it's like what Forrest Gump would say. It's just a box of chocolates. That was supposed to be an impersonation of him if you couldn't tell about that. Or the one that I like the best is, is sending a flower or sending a rose or sending a plant. And having the card to say, happy birthday, happy anniversary, happy Valentine's Day, 
happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas. And what you do, you have it all put that on one card. So, if guys, if you miss one of those, you've already covered your base there. That's always a good one. Of course, I would never do that, would I? <laughs> love is an action word. And we express love by actions. Did you know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ expressed love through actions? And I want to remind us today of some of those actions and how he expressed his love towards, towards us. The first verses I want to go to is, is Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. And it says this, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And he will hand them over to the Gentiles to mock and discourage him and to crucify him. And on the third day, he will arise. Jesus was laying out the plan of what he was going to have to go through. And you see, Jesus knew what, what that plan was. He knew that when he went to Jerusalem towards his crucifixion, that he knew Satan and all his demons would be gathering there at Golgotha in order to defeat him and to take him out. He knew that Judas was fixing to betray him. He knew Peter would deny him. He knew Thomas would doubt him. And he knew the disciples would desert, desert him. And yet the Bible says he set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew exactly what his fate was going to be. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him. He knew exactly what, what, what the world wanted to do to him. And yet the Bible says he set his face towards Jerusalem. He must really love you and I to do that. In Matthew 26, we find Jesus in the garden. And Jesus has uh, finished up with the, with the Last Supper, His Lord's Supper, the Passover Supper, if you would. And He's been giving His disciples uh, final instructions. And, he, and, he's, and He's preparing them for life after Him being gone. And they have just finished the Lord's Supper, and He's had all this discussion and all this teaching. And the Bible says He took His disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he was going into the Garden of Gethsemane, we know he kept eight on, kind of on the outside uh, of the garden. Said, you got you eight, stay here. But he said, I want Peter, James, and John, I want you to come on with me a little bit further. Because we know what was going to go on in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I believe Jesus did not want to be alone at that point. I believe he wanted some of his closest associates with him. He wanted probably his prayer warriors to be with him. And we, and we read in, in, in verse uh, uh, 37, and then we'll read 38. He says, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me, or remain here 
and pray. Why was he so deeply grieved? He knew before demon, Satan and all his demons had gone to Golgotha, he knew that they stopped at the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and within those hours when Jesus was praying, there was a spiritual war going on. It was a spiritual war between God and Jesus and the, and the enemy, Satan. And, and, and Satan is, is there with Jesus. And, 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 and the Bible talks about that, that he, he was grieved and he was saddened. And as he was doing that, the Bible says that he fell on his face and began to pray. You know, that spiritual warfare, what that was, that was the enemy telling Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do the Father's will. Just listen to me and you can skip the cross. You don't have to be crucified. Just, just listen to me and do your own thing, Jesus. Do your own thing and don't listen to what your Father wants you to do. And I can just imagine the spiritual warfare there. Because if Satan could get Jesus to step away from the cross, Satan wins the war. And Satan knew it. That's why I believe one of the things that the Bible says Jesus was sweating drops of blood because the intensity of what he was dealing with. In verse 39, it says, And Jesus went a little beyond them and fell on his face, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He fell on his face as a position of submission. You know, I have prayed standing up. I've prayed sitting down. I've prayed on my knees. I've never prayed face down on the ground. That's what Jesus did. Face down. Face to the, face to the dirt. Total submission to his Father. And he says in there, he said, Father, if this cup could pass from me. I wonder what that cup was. Well, I've got some ideas what that cup might have been. You see, the cup that he's talking about is, you see, Jesus' holy and perfect sinless body within a few hours was going to become sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And that thought and that thought alone had to be repulsive to him. Because sin had not gotten a hold of him. The stench of sin was not on him. And yet he knows within hours he will become sin. He knows that, that within hours he will die for the sins of the world. Can you just imagine? If you just would count your own sin, you yourself, and how many times you and I sin, if you just do that and just multiply that times every person that's ever lived. That's the burden of dying for every sin out there. I believe the cup also was the thought that he knew that his father would forsake him. His father would abandon him. His father, as he laid on that cross could not look at his son because his son became sin. Couldn't look at him. And we know the story where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, where are you, God? 
Jesus was all alone, and he knew that, and he had never, ever, ever in his 33 years have felt a separation between himself and his holy father. You see, that's what sin does. Separates you and me from a pipeline that's open and clean from the Father. Jesus was fixing to feel that. Had to be an awful, awful feeling. And yet he says, Father, if that's the cup I've got to take, Father, is there another way? You got another plan, God? And what Jesus said, no, that's it. And when Jesus understood that and he prays that three times and he understands what the Father wants, what does he say? Father, not my will, but your will. Father, I'm willing to do exactly what you have called me to do. And if it means dying on the cross, I will do it. You know, he must have really loved you and I. In Matthew 26, 67. We read here, and Jesus is before the high priest, Caiaphas, and asking him questions and trying to grill him a little bit. And the Bible says Jesus remained silent. You know, he could have, he could have told his story. Yeah, he could, have, he could have given his testimony. But the Bible says he remained silent until Caiaphas asked him, are you, are you the king? Are you the son of God? And his answer is, you said it. You said it. And it just, those folks that were there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that just put them enraged. They couldn't handle the fact that basically he was claiming to be the Son of God, that he was deity, and they couldn't handle that. We read in, in verse 67, it says, And they spat in his face, and they beat him, and some slapped him, and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is, who is the one that hits you? You see, you understand, the Alpha and the Omega was standing there in front of Caiaphas. The beginning and the end was standing there. The King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Prince of peace was standing before this man and these Pharisees, and all they could do was spit in his face. All they could do was punch him. And, about, and I think it's in Mark where it says he was even blindfolded. So he couldn't even know where the punches were coming from. And they punched him in the face and punched him in the body and slapped him in the face. And said, boy, if, you, if you're the Christ, <laughs> tell us who he just hit you if you're so smart. And the Bible says he just took it and endured the pain and the suffering of those evil men. He must really love you and I to endure that kind of treatment. In John 19, I'm going to come back to Matthew in just a minute, but in John 19, in verse 2, we'll read this. And Jesus is up against Pilate. And Pilate's been doing his thing and questioning him. And Pilate can't find anything wrong with him. But, but you know, Pilate, he, he has to do the politically correct thing. He wants to keep his job and... And, and, and we read here in, in chapter 19, and it says, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. And it says, A soldier twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head 
and put a purple robe on him. And in verse 3, they began to mock him again. Hail, king of the Jews. Every king needs a crown. Okay? Every king needs a crown. So what did these guys do? They took the, the thorns and made it into a crown. And they didn't just lay it on his head. They didn't just lay it on his head. Slammed it on his head. Blood began to flow from his scalp. Might have even taken him to his knees because I can just imagine that sharp pain that hit him. A few years ago, I was messing with the cross up here and we've got, we've got a crown up there too. And I got a little close to it. One thorn hit me. And that was enough. Extremely painful, extremely sharp. And I get to thinking about that, how he had a whole crown of thorns. 30 or 40 thorns in that one bush. And slammed on his head. Yeah, you're the king. You're the king. He must have really loved you and me to do that. Matthew 27, back there, 26. We read, Pilate is finished up with his decision-making, if you would. And we, and we read these verses in chapter 27, verse 26. And it says, And he released Pilate. He released Barabbas to them, that murderer, that insurrectionist, that, that one that caused all kind of trouble in Jerusalem. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. You know, you just kind of read that, read that verse, and it's just kind of just, it's kind of there it is. You know, had him scourged, and then they sent him off to be crucified. But it's just, it's just not that. That scourging was, they would take a whip, and they put a little bone at the end of the whip. And they would give the guy 39 lashes. 40, they believed, would kill you. So they stopped before death. And they would whip him 39 times with this bone on the end of it. And this bone on the end of it was designed to rip and to tear the skin in order to make it even more painful. Make even more blood flow from that. And the Bible, not the Bible, but the tradition says that there was 13 lashes to the front of him and 29 to the back of him, 26 to the back of him. And there was at least two men doing that. The Romans wanted to make sure that whoever was doing that didn't get tired. So they took every other shot at him. That's what the scourging was all about. Painful. Beating him to an inch of his life. You know, he must have loved you and me to be able to endure something like that. Matthew 27, 35. And it says that they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves to cast lots. And they crucified him. 
They drove nails into his hands and his feet, attaching him to the cross. The soldiers mocked him. The Bible says the crowd, wagging their heads, (laughs) hurled abuse at him. The two criminals, one on each side, the Bible says they were shouting insults at him. And when he looked looked out amongst the crowd that was there, his disciples were not there. They had all abandoned him, if you would. And then within minutes, he'll feel abandoned by his father. And there he is, beaten to an inch of his life, naked, wearing the only thing that he had, and that was a crown of thorns, nails in his hands and his feet. And when he was laying there up on that cross and they had dropped him into the hole and obviously that had to hurt, he looks down and he sees the Roman soldier with the, with the hammer in his hand. And he sees those folks out there that have been mocking him and making fun of him and, and criticizing him and laughing at him. He sees those folks too. And he, and he doesn't see his disciples but he sees this crowd that's there and all they're doing is just mocking him and making fun of him. And from the cross as he's standing up there and holding on and being pinned to that cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Whoo. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, my goodness. How can he do that? That is your Lord and your Savior. And how could he do that? He must have really loved you and me to endure that. You see, he could have called down 10,000 angels. Did you know it? They could have taken him off that cross. They could have unhooked those nails and just left him and got him off of there. But Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because if I come off this cross, then Satan himself wins. If I come off that cross, there is no hope for mankind to ever spend a minute in heaven with me. There would be no hope. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't call down 10,000 angels to get him off that cross? We would all be hopeless if he did. But you know what? He didn't do it. Why didn't he do it? Because he loved you. And me. In Luke 24, we read this. As the woman came to prepare him on that Easter morning for burial. And the women came and, and, and the stone's been rolled away. And there's an angel there. And the angel speaks to Mary and the rest of the women. And the angel makes this great statement says, he is not here. (laughs) He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. He is a risen Savior. He must really love you and me in order for that to happen. In John 3.16, we read, for God so loved the world. That's you and I. That he gave us his only begotten son, that's Jesus. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life in heaven. What a great promise. Romans 5.8 tells us this. And God demonstrated his love to us. That while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. Why would he do that? Because he really loves you and me. You know, that's just a few examples of love and action that Jesus performed. You know, he headed to Jerusalem knowing what was going to happen to him. But in Hebrews 12, too, it says, He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And guess what? He now sits at the right hand of the Father. And he makes intercession for you daily, which means he prays for you daily. Why would he do that? Because of the great love that he has for you and I. Love really is an action word. Let's pray. We're going to have just a very quick invitation. If there's one here that would like to accept this person who loves you beyond belief, who loves you in spite of your faults and in spite of your difficulties, if you would like to come and accept Christ as Lord and Savior, here is your opportunity right now to do that. So as the piano plays, we'll just have an invitation, a short invitation. If you want to come, you come. Father God, we just are so thankful for the love that you have for us. We're so thankful that Jesus was willing to endure what he endured. As he endured the cross and what all that meant. And he despised the shame and what all of that meant that he went through. But praise God, he is now sitting at your right hand, Father thank you that he has made intercession for us. Father, thank you that he shed his blood for us because your word says without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. So Father, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. We're so thankful that you gave him up so that we could receive salvation. We could receive your grace of salvation and receive mercy Father, we're so, so thankful for that. Father, I I pray for the rest of our time here, God.
I pray as we observe the Lord's Supper, your Supper, Father, that we do it in a, in a, a sense of awe. We do it in a sense of remembrance, like your word says, and a sense of thankfulness of what you did on the cross and three days later. Father, we love you. In your name I pray these things. Amen. All right, we'll begin the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, who can participate?